The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open them with me to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1. 2 Timothy, chapter 1. We're going to continue our study through these pastoral epistles, these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to pastors and associates that he was encouraging. We've looked at 1 Timothy, we've looked at Titus, and now we're coming and finishing up with 2 Timothy. And we did it in that order because, in fact, 2 Timothy is the last letter that the Apostle writes. Not only to Timothy, it's the last letter we have from the Apostle in the New Testament. So this becomes something of significance in that it is Paul's kind of farewell address to Timothy. It is Paul's understanding that his life is coming to an end and that these are some final encouragements and instructions that he wants to pass on. How important these, these words will be, knowing that even as Paul wrote them, he understood them to be quite possibly some of his last words. I don't know if you were paying attention yesterday to the news, but there was this uh, false alarm warning that was sent to Hawaii about um, the potential of some incoming missile disaster. Uh, my, my brother and mother are over there right now, and so my brother sent me this text yesterday. He just sent me a snapshot of the uh, emergency alert warning he got on his phone, and it says this, emergency alert, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Wow. My, my brother, in his typical sarcastic humor, he writes beneath the announcement, let's hope this doesn't ruin my day. <laughs> it was all over the news yesterday afternoon, you know, trying to figure out what happened. It was a false alarm, of course, but what happened. We have another brother, Brother Ricardo. Many of you know him. He's over there visiting some of his family. He sent me a text and just just the upset, you know. He said, we get this text and my daughter and I were trying to get food and water into the car. And my daughter says, Dad, hurry up. We've only got 14 minutes, you know. And just that thought of really, is this real? Could this be happening? Could this be the end? Could this be, you know, whatever you might fear? And And, and so there is this sense that we don't we don't think about it until something like this kind of shakes us you know life is so fragile and the truth is our time is coming whether it be 14 minutes 14 years a generation uh, we're living today with the understanding that this life is merely an investment in eternal life and uh, every once in a while, it's important to kind of reflect on that. that. That's kind of the sense that Paul has as he's writing. When Paul wrote his first letter to Timothy, he was a free man. He was out in the mission field. Now, we know through the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys ended him up eventually in prison. And he did write some letters from prison while he was in Rome. And the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison, but able to entertain visitors, kind of a under house arrest type of arrangement. He was awaiting a hearing, but it wasn't uh, imminent that he was going to be put to death or even be found guilty. 
The the book of Acts ends there, but we know that Paul would eventually be released from that prison because we have other writings and letters that he wrote after that fact. And Bible scholars, most historians, we can track through. The Bible doesn't tell us the details, but we do have other historical evidence. Paul would be released from prison. He would then spend a few more years on the missionary trail. Most likely, this is when he would drop Timothy off at Ephesus, which is where Timothy is to receive this letter. He would drop Titus off in Crete, and of course, he would write his letter there. So he still did some missionary work, but Bible history or history does tell us that Paul would be rearrested. As Nero's power grew in Rome, he turned persecution towards the Christians, and Paul became, uh, you know, a very hot subject of that persecution and was arrested, eventually martyred and put to death. It's after this second arrest that he writes 2 Timothy. He is in prison as he writes 2 Timothy, but it's not the same kind of prison experience he had the first time. No good, no prison experiences are good, but this is much worse. Many believe this would have been the Mamertine dungeon experience there in Rome. So he's writing now in a much more difficult place. And you'll see it even as we study in the weeks to come. He's asking Timothy to come to bring his cloak. He's cold. He's lonely. He's deserted. This is a very different tempo uh, and tone that Paul writes. It's his last kind of words to Timothy. And yet, even as he's writing this, and we'll see it just in the introduction, the first seven verses that we'll look at today, Paul is encouraging Timothy. Paul is wanting to see the baton of faith passed on. No matter what happens to me, I've run my race. I'm ready to go. But Timothy, you now must go forward and be faithful in what God has called you to do. And so that's kind of the backdrop for this writing. And I I think it's good to hold that in your heart as we look through these passages. I've entitled today's message, Selective Memory. Selective memory. You know, the Bible talks about forgetting things, and the Bible talks about remembering things. Some things are worthy to be forgotten. Some things must never be forgotten. Selective memory. And this is what Paul is going to do in this introduction. He's going to be, he's reflecting and remembering, and he wants Timothy to remember. But just before we get there, let me read a couple of verses in introduction. Philippians 3.13. Paul says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended... But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Paul says, I'm forgetting some things. Some things just need to be forgotten. I need to just put those in the past, maybe past hurts, maybe past failures. I'm not focusing on those. I'm pressing forward in the Lord. But then he would also say, and just a, a few verses later in Philippians 4 and verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true... Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. He says, guys, I'm moving forward and I'm putting some stuff behind me. I'm forgetting it. But I'm also suggesting that there are some things we should remember. Meditate on these things. And this is what we'll see Paul discussing right here in this first chapter of 2 Timothy. Take a look with me, verse 1, 
Paul gives his standard greeting. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. We know that Paul and Timothy have had a long-term relationship. Timothy came to faith through Paul's gospel ministry. And it's been probably in excess of 20 years that Timothy has been traveling with Paul, serving in the ministry with Paul. They've been ministry partners and companions for a long season. But now Timothy is at the church in Ephesus, pastoring the work. Paul is now imprisoned at Rome. And yet he still has these dear words to say to Timothy. He goes on and talks of the things that he's reflecting on. Look with me, verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did. As with, and without, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul is kind of reflecting on his relationship with Timothy, but he's also wanting to remind Timothy of some important truths in his life. Three things that I'd like to draw your attention to that kind of stood out to me in Paul's introduction here. Three things that he's thinking of. Three things that he would like Timothy to be reminded of. Number one, Paul speaks of a pure conscience. A pure conscience. Look again, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. What is a pure conscience? When we think of our conscience, we think of that inner voice of our heart. And Paul is saying, my conscience is pure. It's clean. There's nothing in my heart that's causing me trouble in this moment. I, I have a peace with God, a peace within myself. And this is not necessarily... a a pure conscience because Paul is somehow arrived to living in perfection. That's not possible this side of eternity. But there is a sense that we can still have a pure conscience in walking with the Lord because if we sin, the Bible says, we have an advocate that we can confess our sins and God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. One of the secrets to a pure conscience is being very quick to confess and receive forgiveness. It doesn't mean perfect living. It means living that is quick to uh, repent and confess, receive mercy and forgiveness, and enjoy that peace with God. This means that he is free from any unconfessed sin. This is different than a guilty conscience, right? A guilty conscience is carrying around 
a sense of guilt and sin that has not yet been acknowledged and confessed. There's also the Bible talks about a seared conscience. This is a conscience that has been suppressed and silenced to the place where it no longer registers in the heart. You're living sinfully or compromising, but your conscience isn't even alerting you anymore. It used to, but you suppressed it, you silenced it, you seared it. It's no longer sensitive. It's no longer able to register in your heart. Now, Paul says, I'm, I'm serving the Lord with a pure conscience. And this, this gives the idea of having uh, confessed whatever is necessary to be right with God. You may remember this, when David sinned, there was a season after his sin with Bathsheba that he tried to keep it all covered and, and didn't talk about it. He does talk about that experience later after he was forgiven. What a blessing it was to go ahead and be forgiven. He says in Psalm 32, 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, David said, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Part of a pure conscience is being open and honest before God. The other thing I notice about his pure conscience is he said that I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. Uh, this seems to indicate that his conscience was pure because he was responding to God's call upon his life. He wasn't divided in his priorities and in his heart, you know, serving his own interests, but his conscience kind of nagging, hey, God's calling you. Hey, God has more than this for you. You're walking with the Lord, but you're also kind of walking in your own agenda. And that's a divided heart. That's not a pure con That's not a conscience at peace. That's a conscience kind of wrestling within. We're not even talking about sinful living. We're just talk about, talking about priorities of living. I've been in that place, living, for, living my life with the Lord, but not necessarily for the Lord. And my conscience would trouble me, and, and I kind of sensed that God had more, but then I'm just so busy and doing, and, you know, eventually the Lord did bring my life. I've shared it over the years to a kind of a crossroad where it was kind of a, a reprioritizing of my life, and I had to kind of surrender my agenda to His agenda, and what a difference that made in my conscience to be serving the Lord, to be in step with what he was desiring. And Paul said, I've done this as my forefathers did. Paul had other good examples. Paul may have been talking about those heroes of faith in chapter 11. Maybe he was thinking of Abraham, of Moses, of Noah, of those that, that had gone before him and walked in faith and served God. And he said, my conscience is, is pure, it's clean, because I'm serving God the way they did. And you and I have opportunity to serve with pure conscience. God is calling us, too, to walk and obey those things that he desires to work in our lives. And we have some good examples, too, not only in the Bible. We have good examples in our own generation, men, women, that we see living for God 
and good examples of those fulfilling God's call with a pure conscience. And it also says that this pure conscience Paul had, as with ceasing, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day and night. It seems that part of Paul's pure conscience included a very devout prayer life. He says, as without ceasing. I have this pure conscience. I'm serving, I'm following, and I'm praying. I'm praying for you, Timothy, night and day. I'm praying for you all the time. This maintained heart and fellowship of prayer. If you'd like to have that inner peace, that sense of good conscience, look, be quick to repent. Obey the, the draw of God. Look to, for, to serve the Lord, to get in step with what he's calling. Serve him and then pray. Pray and nurture these things. Keep a close walk with him through your prayer life, praying for others, interceding. All of this seems to be a contribution to Paul's pure conscience. The second thing that he speaks of, and I want to draw your attention to, is this genuine faith. Genuine faith. Look again, verse 4 and 5. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Paul takes a moment here just to Remind Timothy of his faith. What faith? The faith that you have in Jesus. The faith that you have towards God. That you believe he's good. That you believe he loves you. That you believe he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And that your sins are forgiven and you have the gift of eternal life. These truths are lodged deep in the heart of every believer. And Paul is simply kind of refreshing this in Timothy's life. Who knows what Timothy was going through at this season? We kind of get the idea from the letter that Timothy needed a little bit of encouraging. And sometimes the best way to encourage is just to remind a believer what's true about their faith. You know, God is with you. Do you know that God loves you and that he is good and that he is all-knowing and he is all-powerful? Oh, I know the circumstance, the trial, the drama. I know those things challenge, but those things don't change the truth about God and your faith in him. And Paul is simply kind of reminding, and he says, I'm mindful of your tears, Timothy. We don't know when Timothy was tearful. Maybe when Paul left him at Ephesus and departed, there was a, a, a kind of a tearful goodbye. Maybe Timothy and Paul had had many tearful moments just in prayer. Or just, you know, in worship, sometimes those tender moments of the Holy Spirit just working in your life, and it brings you to tears. Paul said to the, uh, in the book of Acts chapter 20, he's, he was reminding the church at Ephesus, remember when I was there preaching from house to house, night and day, warning you with tears. Even in his ministry, there was this passion. And a genuine faith is something that really grips the soul. It's not just a a collection of fact and truth that we believe. It's something that, that goes deep into the soul. It moves us. We're moved by this touch of God, that he loves me this, this way, that he's, that he's touched my life and called me in such, uh, such passion himself, and now my heart is responding. 
this, this genuine faith seems to be something that is passionate, something that is sincere, something that is truly lodged in Timothy's heart and was in his mother and grandmother's heart as well. This should encourage some of us that our faith has impact on lives around us. Timothy grew up in a home where mom and grandmother knew the Lord, loved the Lord. We don't know about Timothy's father, perhaps not a believer, perhaps not around. But in any case, his mother and grandmother sowed something of their faith. We just did a baby dedication today. That's what it's about, sowing that genuine faith. This is a faith that that, uh, prevails through generation. This is a faith that affects others in lives around us. This is why Paul wanted to see Timothy. He wanted to be with a guy that had the same kind of passion and heart and faith that he did. I'm alone in this prison. We'll see later in the letter, many have deserted him. Oh, if I could just see Timothy. Haven't you ever felt that? If I could just be with someone that loves the Lord, just to pray with, just to encourage, just to kind of be with one another, to, to, to draw close to each other, knowing that we're on the same, we have the same faith, the same heart. We're after God. Paul longed for this, and he reminds Timothy of this genuine faith. It's been in his family, and Timothy, it's still alive in you. Finally today, he speaks of the gift of God. Look again, verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He reminds Timothy of this gift of God that came to him or was at least confirmed in him through the laying on of hands. Now, that's the biblical picture of kind of praying for somebody, commissioning them, affirming them. It's just a a method of prayer wherein we connect on an important spiritual moment or time or, or principle. And Paul is reminding Timothy, remember, Timothy, not only this this faith that you have that you've grown up with in your home, this faith in Christ, your salvation, but also that calling of God upon your life. And I think that's the gift he's referencing here, the call of God, not just to save you, but also to call you to serve, to minister, to be engaged in what he has purposed for your life. Remember that, Timothy? I'm reminded of that. I'm remembering when we laid hands on you. The Bible says that Paul was there. Elders of the church were there. It was a moment where the church was affirming, God's got a calling on your life, wants to use you. And Paul is trying to remind him, not only is that gift there, Timothy, but now you need to what? Stir it up. The call of God is there. What God desires to do in your life is is resident in your heart. Now, you may not know fully yet what it is, but God does, and he's already deposited it in in your heart. God has already administered that calling. It may be time for you to discover it. It may be time for you now to stir it up, or maybe you need to reawaken it. But the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable, the Bible says, without repentance. God doesn't have a, a plan A, B, and C. God has a plan A for you and me. And he wants us to walk in the fullness of it. And he will bring us as far as we will allow him. 
Pastor Chuck used to say, God will take you as far as you let him according to his plan and calling and purpose for your life. That seems to be the, the, what Paul is trying to stir here. Hey, Timothy, stir it up. God's called you. God has a purpose. I can say to you and my own heart here today, God loves us. He's called us. And it may be that we just need to allow the Holy Spirit to refresh that by stirring it up in our hearts. How do we stir? Well, we ask God to speak to us. We ask God to to nurture it in our hearts. We pray. We, we look to the Word together. We allow God's Word to speak to us as we read it. As I mentioned to you in that season when I went through that crossroad in my life, kind of resetting priorities, God began to stir new things in my heart, and I began to pray. I began to desire it. In, in my heart, it came like this. It was a time in my life through trial and circumstance where I was just reevaluating things. And we weren't living in a compromised situation. We were a good Christian family. I was working, going to church, active. But in my heart, I knew that God was desiring to do more in my life. And it, and it was kind of this moment where I reflected back on the last 10 years of my life. And I said, you know, Lord, I'm thankful for your goodness and your faithfulness. But Lord, I want the next 10 years to be different. Uh, these 10 years are gone. I can't change them. But I want to stir or allow you to stir something up. I want the next 10 years. I have a sense that, that they would have been more had I allowed you to do more. And I want the next 10 to count more. That was my heart. That was my prayer. And God began to stir that. God began to speak to me. It was amazing during that time of prayer and really hungry for the Lord to show me, you know, new things. I'd open my Bible and the, the word was just coming to life. I'd be amazed how many times that God was just speaking the word right out of the, off the page as my heart was stirring and looking and searching. Then I'd come to church. Oh, and the pastor's just like totally calling me out, speaking to my heart. Just, oh, he's been following me. Well, how does he know this? Just speaking, you know, just God's word, just stirring up. But it was the, it was the Holy Spirit that was doing the work and the stirring I was simply hungry. I was cooperating with it. I was open to what God was doing and saying in my life. And I love verse 7. And we'll close with kind of these thoughts out of verse 7. Look again. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. This gift of God, Timothy, you need to, you need to stir that again in your heart. And you need to remember that the Spirit of God who does the gifting and the calling and the stirring, He has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It seems that Timothy must have been struggling with fear. Why else do you tell somebody, don't be afraid, that God is not giving you that fear? Because he's wrestling with it. And it may have been the challenges of ministry. It may have been the persecution. My, my mentor is in prison. He may not make it. Now what's going to happen to me if I keep pressing on in ministry? Maybe he was having challenges there at the local church. He's trying to correct things, and there's pushback. It's challenging. It's hard. Whatever it was, it seems that Timothy was in a place where he needed to hear this. Timothy, don't forget your calling, the gift of God. Stir it up. And remember, it's not fear but it's power, love, and a sound mind. 
I'll tell you, I quote this, that verse so often when I'm praying for people because people come and they need prayer. And often it is fear that they're struggling with. It's anxiety. I need, I need prayer. I need prayer. This is happening in my life. And it's, and it's scaring them. They're afraid. They're afraid of the outcome. They're afraid of what maybe God wants them to do. Can I do it? I don't know. Is it the Lord? And there's fear. And I want to encourage you today. This is, this is a good kind of litmus test for what's going on in your heart. When you're getting ready to make decisions or when you find yourself being motivated in a certain way, is it fear-based? Because if it is, it's not coming from the Lord. Sometimes we make decisions just because of fear. I've done this and lived to regret it. In a moment of anxiety, panic, I make a decision. Oops, turned out to be a disaster. I w- it was all done out of fear. It wasn't the Lord. I wasn't waiting. I wasn't praying. It wasn't power, love, and a sound mind. And you know how these fearful thoughts go. You've, you've heard of panic attacks. People get overwhelmed with anxiety. And, and it's just, it's all happening where? In the mind. I'm afraid that this might happen. Oh, boy, if that happens, then that means this will probably happen. Oh, and if that happens, this will definitely happen. Oh, and if that happens, then I'm going to... I mean, you can, you can have yourself in the worst disaster just planned out in your mind just by taking a few steps of fear. And all of it is something that, that, that's stirring in your head, but that's not coming from the Lord. That's not the Spirit of God stirring that up in your heart. We can do that with all kinds of things. We can have, you know, we can have debates in our mind, right? I win all those debates, by the way. They're going to say this, I'll say that, boom. Boom. They'll say this. Oh, yeah? Well, boom. I got it ready. And I got, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of this confrontation, so I'm, I'm, I'm laying out my strategy, my defense, and how I'm going to work through it. And I always win with the last killer remark. Boom. Take that. You're done. Drop the mic. Boom. <laughs> right? We have it all worked out. All of this anxiety, fear worked up in our heads. And I, th- I think Timothy must have been wrestling with some of this. God doesn't motivate us or move us with fear. He loves us. He's a, he's a good, good father. God wants to move us by his spirit. And his spirit, he's given us a spirit of power. Now that means enabling Whatever God has asked you to do, whatever God has allowed to come to your life, trust me, he's given you the grace you need to walk through it. Don't be afraid of it. Trust that God is with you in the midst of it and that he will give you the power, the ability, the gifting, the boldness, the enabling to walk through whatever he has called you to and put before you. He's given you a spirit of power and there is nothing impossible with God. Oh, I can't do it. You don't understand. God can do it. God will do it. God will see you through this. The spirit of power and of love. Perfect love casts out all fear, the Bible says. You're walking under the loving, guiding hand of God. His spirit is filling you with love. Not anxiety, not resentment, not fear, not, not revenge. Love. These are the things that motivate and that sound mind. So much of our struggle is in the mind. And the Spirit of God wants to renew our mind. The Spirit of God wants us not to be anxious, but to be peaceful. 
thoughts that are disciplined and captive. You can just do this test on yourself. When you find yourself getting worked up, bring it back to the root. Where is this coming from? Is this fear? Is this hurt? Is this unforgive? What is it? Power, love, a sound mind. That's what the Spirit of God wants to bring and produce in our hearts, that we might live boldly, that we might walk in love, that we might be focused, that our thoughts might be captive, that our thoughts might be pure. I'll close with this verse that I quoted earlier from Philippians. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Paul is trying to encourage his young pastor friend. Paul knows that these may be the last words he'll have a chance to express to Timothy. Interesting. He brings him back to the foundation, Timothy. You're called of God. You've got a wonderful example. You know what to do, Timothy. Don't don't let it go dormant in your life. Stir it up. Stir it up. And remember, God's Spirit is in you to, to give you power, love, and a sound mind. Don't be afraid. Walk in trust and confidence in what God has for you. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this introduction to 2 Timothy, Paul encouraging young Timothy in ministry, in heart, in spirit. And I pray, Lord, for us as a people, I pray for my own heart, God, that I would not give place to fear, anxiety, worry, Lord, that I would allow you by your spirit to strengthen me, to refresh me, that I would be mindful today of your promises, of your love for me, that my faith, God, would be genuine to know that you're with me and for me. And I pray for the hearts here today, God. There may be some wrestling with fear, even today, right now, some of you struggling with fear panic attacks, overwhelmed with anxiety, fearful of a circumstance, fearful of a relationship, fearful of what might happen, fearful of what might not happen. And it's controlling your life, this worry, this fear. Maybe there's some time element to it, and and, and you don't know if you can hold on or if you don't know if things will change in time and you're worried. Maybe it's some ministry that God is nudging you toward and you're just holding back. You're afraid. I can't do it. I don't know how. I don't know where to begin. I'm just too afraid to even take a step. And God is wanting to speak to your heart today. God is wanting to encourage you to stir up the gift of God, to be mindful of his promises over you, of his love for you. And not to walk in that fear or that anxiety. That's not from the Lord. Cast it down. Cast down those imaginations. Take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ because the Spirit of God has come. The Spirit of God is here right now. The Spirit of God wants to move in power, in love, and give you soundness of mind. If that's your heart today, 
you are at a place where you are wrestling. The very fear and anxiety that you don't want, it's just, it's just kind of consuming your thought and your life and your mind. And you need to be set free of this right now. Just as we're closing in prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet because I want to pray for you. You're here today and you need to be set free from fear, anxiety, the worry. The enemy's got you in a trap. You're, en- you're encircled in this. You can't get rid of it. You want to be free. Just stand right where you are. The Lord wants you to be free, child of God. Your heavenly Father, your all-powerful, all-knowing, loving Father, He doesn't want you living afraid. He doesn't want you living worried and anxious. He wants you to experience His power, His love, soundness of mind. Receive it from him today. Listen, he is all that he's declared himself to be. Ask him by the grace of God to renew your mind, to set you free. Don't let this dominate your thinking anymore. Take those thoughts captive. Cast them down. Meditate on good things. Find something else to think about something pure, something praiseworthy, something of virtue. If you let your mind run, it'll run and run and run. God wants to set us free. Lord, for these standing, I believe that there are real trials represented here. There are real circumstances, God, that are tenuous, that are fearful, God, we're not asking for some magic takeaway of all trouble. What we're asking for is the power and grace of your Spirit to give us the strength and the heart and the confidence and the mindset wherein we can walk by faith and not fear, wherein we can walk in power, love, and a sound mind. Lord, set these that have stood free today. May this be the mark of a new day. Break these things, Lord. Break the patterns. Renew their mind. Lord, as you encouraged Timothy, we encourage ourselves. Stir these things up, believer. Get back to your word. Get back to God's promises. Get back to what you know to be true of his love for you. Get back to meditating on these things. And God will set you free. God will deliver you. God will walk you through and you will find him to be faithful and all that he has declared. Father, I pray for these things to be true in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.